Amen. I wish I could preach as good as Maya does announcements. That would be great, wouldn't it? So, hey, uh, you know your neighbor is tired of you borrowing their ladder when they give you one for Christmas. Yeah, it really happened. My neighbor gave me a ladder for Christmas. Because I have borrowed her ladder so many times, Lord bless her. And it was a really nice ladder. I was like shocked, like, gosh. And you also know your neighbor is tired of your uh, natural area between your houses when she gives you these heavy-duty clippers <laughs> to clean up your natural area. We have a great neighbors. And that's something they give you Christmas presents to kind of hint, hint. Yeah, thank you, Lord. So I hope everybody had a great Christmas time, did you? Yeah. If you didn't, uh, next year will be better, or this, this year. And I hope you had a great New Year's. Amen? Yeah. And uh, so, Lord, we just thank you for this new year. It's, a, it's all the same to you, Lord, but for us, it's a, a new opportunity to, to really come into more of who we are in you and who you are in us. And to be able to live the life that you designed us to live. And to be the people you've called us to be, Lord. So, Lord, we have a lot of expectancy for this year. Um, we have a belief that you're going to do above and beyond what we're asking or thinking. According to the power of God, the power of the Holy Ghost that's in us. So, let's just say, Holy Ghost, come to me. Fill me. Renew me. Give me hope. Give me love. Give me power. In Jesus' name. We're, you know that song we sang, that hymn that was great? Isn't that an amazing hymn, I Surrender All? What did it say? One of the lines Tony and I were remarking on, I want to feel your Holy Spirit. See, that's not a new thought. That's an old thought. That's a thought that anybody who's ever been around God will have at some point. I need to feel the Holy Ghost. It's, feelings are a good thing. They can be a bad thing if they become your master, but they can, they can serve you well if you allow They're meant to serve us. Sort of like our brain. Our brain's meant to serve us, right? It's not meant to, to rule us. So, you know, um, I was want to share this word with you that the Lord uh, started. I asked the Lord last year, about, in, about December, I started really praying about my last year, you know, reflecting on the year, you know, I hope y'all do stuff like that, and just what did God do in my life, and what's going on in my life, Lord, because, you know, sometimes you can just live and not really pay attention to the bigger picture of your life, and God really wants us to kind of dial into what he's doing sometimes uh, over a period of time, and and I really realized that last year, God, it was just a, a, I've shared this before, it was the best year for me inwardly. In many years, I mean, it was just amazing. It just started out, I just had this amazing encounter with the Lord. started out that way, and it ended, uh, pretty much ended, towards the end there, just another amazing encounter with the Lord. And both of them are just like, just the best, right? I mean, there's nothing that really beats that. Uh, And just sort of realized that one of the things that God was doing in my life, He was restoring me inwardly. He was restoring my heart. He was restoring my vision. He was just restoring me on so many levels. And uh, so I started thinking about that scripture, you know, in uh, Joel, where it's, you know, the famous scripture. Everybody knows that I will restore to you the years that the, that the locusts 
ate out of your life, of swarming, crawling, all these terrible things. And I uh, started thinking about that, and then I got a, an email from Sharon Mast, the same scripture, about, you know, that she felt the Lord gave her this word that for this year, God wants to restore people, that he's in the restoration mode. And then I was talking to Joel Forsyth. This was, this was amazing to me. I love this. Joel Forsyth, this was on the Christmas Sunday we had, you know, when we celebrated Christmas. He was talking to me, and he was asking me about this message I preached years ago, which sort of put, probably put him in middle school when I preached it, out of Joel 2.25. I was like, wow, Joel, you actually remember that message. You actually remember something that long ago that somehow God put something in him. Now, Joel's a sophomore at NC State. Good old electrical engineer, right? Kind of guy. Huh? No, a senior? Lord have mercy. And he's studying electrical engineering, right? Or something. Huh? Computer science? What did you do, man? Why did you forsake us? Okay, he just dropped a little bit in my eyes. I always respect the engineer people. Okay. No, I was just so blessed by that. But I knew the Lord was, you know... I don't have to have the Lord to confirm stuff to me always. Sometimes he wants to say, this is what I'm telling you, and move on with it, right? But sometimes he wants to really get your attention and, and wants to get that he's doing something. He's doing something right now. And he's trying to restore us, restore who we are as people, and, and, and give us back things. Uh, let me read the, a good definition. Uh, it means to bring back that which had been missing in order to complete an original purpose or calling. To bring that back that which has been missing, however it became missing, in order to complete an original purpose or calling. Isn't that powerful? Boy, that's what God's doing. And, and so I wanted to read, first let me read these few verses here and then share a few things, okay? Are, are you on board yet? Do you want to be restored? This is an invitation. You see, God is throwing out the invitation. Marlon said something. God's inviting us into his presence. He's inviting you to enter into a time of restoration. This is beautiful. It's Acts 3, verse 16 through 21. And this is right after there was a miracle that happened through, not Jesus, but through the Peter and John. They laid hands on this guy, and he got, he'd been crippled, I believe, for 40 years and had, was a, a beggar. And they would take him every day and sit him down in front of the temple. When people went in to worship, he would beg. And, and so you know that guy was there. This is something. You know that guy was there when Jesus walked by him. Don't you know that? Okay? And, but Jesus saved it. He saved his miracle for this day, for, these, for, for, for his people to do it. Because it's that was going to release something into that place. And, and this, if you read in this whole miracle and read on into Acts 4 about what happened, I mean, it set off something there that was very powerful. So God really wants to do miracles uh, today. And he, and, and he don't want to just do them to, to help people. I mean, obviously, it's always to help people to get us free, but he wants to, it's like a, he wants to ignite something into the community and, you know, set something off. Of course, they wound up getting thrown in jail over it. And <laughs> it may be that that day will come for us. It really may. It may happen. Uh, and that would be a beautiful thing if we're being thrown in jail for doing miracles. 
uh, instead of something bad, right? So I'm not asking to get thrown in jail, but I am saying it's in the Bible. <laughs> so we're saying we want all the stuff in the Bible. Well, guess what? You might get some of this. Y'all ain't saying amen to that. But you could say amen to the miracle, right? Uh, and, this, and so Peter's explaining what's happening. He said, and his name through faith in his name. Faith's important. The name of the Lord's important, isn't it? Isn't that the Lord's given us his beautiful name and he's given us his faith? Has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, faith which comes through him. Oh, this is so wonderful. Has given to him this perfect soundness in, in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did and did it in ignorance. We're talking about crucifying the Lord, as did your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent. Isn't that another beautiful word? Repent. Everybody say repent. God is still in to us repenting. Repentance didn't go out of style. It may have gone out of style with certain people, but it hasn't gone out of style in the kingdom. So let's just settle that, that message. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's what Marlon was talking about, those times of refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. Well, we need it. We need a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And I believe God has that in store for us, some, some really amazing times. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven, listen, who heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. The, the times of restoration of all things. That Jesus is not coming back. That's what he's saying. That's what Peter's declaring here. That Jesus is not going to come back until the times of restoration of all things. And when he is finished restoring what he has determined, then he's going to return. That's what's holding Jesus back. Is the restoration that he has in his mind is not completed yet. And so, uh, this is an amazing thing I read. Uh, This is a quote by Rick Joyner, which I just was like, wow. He said this, he said, the entire Bible, the entire Bible, with the exception of just six chapters, is about restoration. The restoring of the earth and mankind from all the consequences of the fall. The only chapters in the Bible that are not about this are the first three and last three. Isn't that amazing? So really what the Lord wants us to do is He wants us to begin to read the Bible with a view of restoration in mind. Because except for the first three and last three chapters, you can drop it off on those. But for every chapter, and I went back and read them, I believe it's 100% right. I believe it's an accurate thing that, that, that the whole Bible pretty much is about God restoring the world, or God restoring His people to what He originally had for us. The original calling. It's the restoration of our relationship with him. That's when I talked to you last year about the covenant of God. That God wants to restore a revelation of his covenant. 
that we can really step into a relationship with Him and have a relationship with God because of the blood of Jesus, because of what God has already established for us and that God's a covenant God and God keeps a covenant. And so He's been, been actively doing this since Christ has come. Christ came to begin to really accelerate this, uh, this restoration. It's also a restoration of our original commission. Back All the way going back into the garden in those first three chapters, the original commission that God's called mankind into. That's what we call, we're talking about the kingdom of God. That God is going to restore his kingdom in the earth. And so that's what he's really, it's those two things that are primarily what he's doing. Another thing I discovered just, you know, in reading those first three and last three chapters, the first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation are strangely similar. They are very strangely sim- similar. You have, you got family, you got food, okay? You got a river, you got a tree of life. We're talk- I'm talking about in the very last chapters. You got all that. The difference is this the garden that was down there in the beginning has now become a, a city, but it's still got a garden in it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So really what the, the, first, the first two chapters, this is really, this can help you. <laughs> Maybe it can. It helped me a lot to really begin to see uh, that the garden where man was, began and God gave us, he's up here. <laughs> She's looking for her husband where he normally sits. <laughs> and he moved on her and didn't tell her. She'll straighten him out at home like, I'm. you know, you're supposed to sit. Anyways, Lord help. There's family and food in the last chapter. There's family and food in the first chapters. But what we see in the first couple chapters of of Genesis is what you see is the raw materials. That's why in chapter 2, have you ever thought about this? There's this river. They talk about these rivers. Then they they talk about onyx. And gold in these places. You ever thought about that? Like, what the heck? What, why is that in the Bible? Who gives a rip that there's gold over there? Unless we're going to get it. <laughs> right? No, what it was, was God was trying to tell us something. He was saying, listen, I have provided all these raw materials. I provided, I provided trees. I provided food. I have provided gold and onyx. I provided all this stuff. And I put you in that garden, I don't, and, and you're not going to live in utopia in a garden all the time. You're going to create something from this garden. And at the end of time, when Jesus comes back, your garden, the garden will have become a city. Because, not because of what God did, but it's because of what God and us do. And so that was God's always commission. You see, it's not, you know, we say life begins in the garden. I love that concept. I love the whole garden thing. I love that whole concept of just getting in the garden. I ain't talking about a garden you got to work. I ain't talking about chopping the garden. I did enough of that. I'm talking about just this, you know, just sweet place, which it is a sweet place. But God has more. God wants to create a city. And that's what the new Jerusalem is. It's, a gar- it's actually a garden city. Um... Isn't that amazing? A few years ago, I had this dream. I had a dream about this. I couldn't figure it out at the time. But I saw, it was a canvas, actually, of of a painting. And it was of a city. But it was painted in these different hues of green. 
And I was saying, what? And there was parts of the city, that parts on the canvas that was not finished. It was blank. It was like the artist had never took his paintbrush and painted that part. Well, that was the dream. Like, what does this mean, Lord? What does this mean? What does this dream mean? I and that's when I began to get this thought about this Garden City thing. But here was the thing. This is what the Lord told me later on. It took me a while to get this. Is you're the artist, Byron. You're the artist. You're the guy with the paintbrush. I've given you the paintbrush. I've given you this, you know, stuff, that, you know, canvas. Giving you all this, this paint. Your job is to develop that city. And you're not finished yet. That's what he told me. You're, and I'll tell you, at the time, I felt finished. That's how I felt. I thought, I'm just finished. I'm defeated. I'm at loss. You know, everything I've done, is, it feels like it failed. It's the way I felt. And the Lord was saying, no, you haven't failed. You're creating a city. Finish it. Finish the city. Finish what I put you on this earth to do. Okay? And so that's what restoration is all about. And that's, that's why God wants to restore us. So, so what God's interested in for you and me, are y'all good? Yeah. For you and I, restoration is, 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 is like God wants to draw us into something bigger than ourselves. Okay? He's very interested in us drawing us into a bigger picture. Okay? He wants us to see something bigger. That's why I, I think it's important to like that little quote from Rick, to understand this is what the Bible's really trying to teach us. It's trying to teach us something a lot bigger than just what's happening with us. Okay? But at the same time, God is very concerned about what's happening with you personally on the individual level because each one of us had this dire need in our life for restoration. Each one of us have a dire need in our life for God to bring things back to us that we've lost or maybe we've never even gotten. Are you following me? And when he begins to do that in us, when he begins to to, uh, restore us, then we have the ability to begin to restore others. Are y'all following this? That's why Jesus saved the miracle for the guy. He saved it because he wanted his guys who he taught and he did all these miracles, I'm saving that miracle for you to do because I, so you can release what I've put in you because I've restored you. I have healed you. Now I want you to heal this guy and restore his life. And that's really how this whole thing works. And so we live in this time, in, in this, in this, I hate this. I hate this part of this. We live in this, it feels almost like an in-between time. You know what I mean? We have this belief about the kingdom of God. We pray it. Kingdom of heaven come. And we have all these thoughts of what that's going to look like, right? When, when I pray that, I have these thoughts. I think about these awesome colors. I love colors, you know? You know, the, the heavens come down in gold color and blue color. Do y'all think that way? And I think about people getting healed. There's no sickness in, in heaven, and crippled people like this guy who got a miracle. That's what I think about, right? You know, and that's really what God wants to do because that's how Jesus began to restore mankind. He began to restore human beings that were broken, you know, that were sick and that were tired and that were worn out and that were carrying a load of sin on them. 
You know, that's, that's what he began to do. And then he wanted them to, to do the same. And so we, but here's what our problem is. I'm making you my problems, your problems. I think it is your problem. I think it's all right. We have this thing that works in us. On the one hand, we feel this. We feel this thing in us. If you get real, everybody in this room, deep in your bones, there's something. It was given to your, our forefathers, Adam and Eve. You know, dominate, create, expand this thing. Develop this thing into the new Jerusalem. Do it all. He's put all that into the bones of humanity. Right? So we have that eternal, supernatural thing that it, when we really get in contact with what's happening on the inside, we feel that. I know even some of you that don't like the supernatural stuff, it's, there's times when you feel something. You feel you're here for a purpose. You feel your life is meant to matter. Right? You feel that. You sense that. But then on the other hand, you, there's this other thing that's going on with you. You feel tired. You feel wore out. You, you have questions. You feel defeated at times. Right? Am I the only person who gets up some mornings I feel like super, superhero, you know, no sin, I'm not tempted, nothing's bothering me, I've got, I'm full of faith and confidence. Then other days I wake up and it's like I'm scared. I'm scared if I even let my mind go for a second, I'm going to do something terrible or say something terrible. Y'all ever feel that? And so we live in this, like, this tension between those two worlds. We really do. All of us do. The problem is most of us, most of the time, give in to this world. We give in to those feelings of defeat. We give in to that lack of godly confidence. You know, we, we allow that to have more sway on us than who we really are. Are you, are you following me? And see, that's see, what, one of, what God wants to begin to do to restore you. Restore you back to who you really are. He's trying to bring out the best you out of you. Because the best you has not come out yet. It, I know the best me hasn't come out yet. I feel like there's a better me inside of me still. I feel like God has more for me still. I feel like God has more life in me that I'm able to, that I'm able to see come out. I, I feel that. I feel it really strong. But then all at the same time, I was like, are you sure? I mean, Lord, kid, how could it be? And I give him all the reasons why I feel crummy about myself. You know, I've got a long pages of this is how, why, why it can't happen. And that's my humanity. That's all of our humanity. You know, God doesn't hate our humanity. He loves our humanity. He just wants who we really are, though, to come through that humanity. And that's what, when I'm talking about restoration, that, that's what it is. That's what God wants to restore in us where we have this confidence and we're tapping into something spiritual and eternal more than we're tapping into here. You, you hear what I'm telling you? Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to feel all this stuff still. It doesn't mean this stuff is not going to bother you still. It, it's going to. I promise you it is. And so here, here's the thing about restoration. Restoration's a process. I, I mean, I hate to say that. It's not an event. It's not just a one-time experience. Okay, now it can, be, it can start as an event. It can start as an experience in your life. You can have a very dynamic experience with the Lord, whatever that looks like for you, and that can begin, that can release you in to His current restoration anointing. 
Okay, and that's really what happened to me last year. I had a, a powerful, dynamic experience with the Lord. And what that did is it, it, it pulled me out of where I had been. It got me away from where I was thinking, the way I was thinking. It broke something off in me. And that, was, that part in itself was amazing. It was like I got freed from my failures in my mind. Okay? The failures never went away. <laughs> They're still back there, Right? The disappointments are still back there. The dead dreams are still back there. But God pulled me away from that and got me to think indifferent about my life and got me to see in my life differently. But here was the thing. It wasn't just that moment because the, it's like, I have something more for you. Come with me. I didn't know what that meant. Okay? Just come with me. Okay. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, one thing I figured out right quick, I think I may have told y'all this one, but about going on adventures in life, life's an adventure. You got God's adventure and your adventure. This was a thing that used to plague me. I just want to throw this out here. Here was my plague. I've been on some great adventures, and God was there, but he didn't do nothing. Right? You know what I'm talking about? God's called me to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And God never shows. I mean, he shows up on the, this is what he told me. Listen, he told me this one morning. I love you. I'll go anywhere you go, anywhere. I'll walk in the depths of hell with you if you decide to go there because I just want to be with you. But that doesn't mean I'm going to do anything because it's yours. It's your adventure. Are y'all seeing this? This is really important. This This will change things for you. It's your adventure. I'll be with you, I will love on you, but I may not do nothing. I may just sit back and watch you flounder and fail. Because you decided you were doing that. I didn't decide you were doing that. So I just made a commitment to the Lord. Okay, this is the way it is. I want to go on this adventure with you, God. I want to walk with you, God. I want to be with you, God. But it ain't my adventure. I'm done with my adventures. I'm finished. I don't have another 10 years to walk down the road and then everything collapse on me. I just, I don't have it no more. I'm getting too old for that stuff. Let young people, if they want to go do their thing and see what happens 10 years down the road, then, then let them go. They'll find out just like most of us older people found out. It didn't work out. Why didn't it work out? Because it was your idea in the beginning. Okay? But God was there, and, and that confused me. Why were you there and you didn't do nothing? I was there because I love you, and I'm committed to you as a human being. But that doesn't mean I'm committed to what you want to do. I will be committed to what I want to do. So I sort of really dug in on that really hard. I dug in so hard, like I ain't doing nothing, Lord, on the outside that I ain't, I'm not seeing on the inside. I want to see you doing it on the inside of me, and if it needs to be released out of me, we'll do it then, and I'll jump on it whole hog, you know. And I do believe we're in a time where God wants to do some stuff. You hear what I'm saying to you? I believe we're in a time where God, it's almost like God was saying there was a time of, of resting in the Lord, soaking in the Lord. That was awesome. And now the Lord's saying, now it's time to do. Now it's a time for action. Because faith is an action. Faith is, is going to propel you. Are y'all following this? Anyways, whoo, mercy, Lord. All right. I hope I've said that well. If I didn't, I'm sorry.
Here's the thing I figured out. This is my thought. We don't master restoration overnight because it is a journey with the Lord. It's a marching out with God. It's a walking out with God. It's a walk of faith. It's a walk of... And and see, I just want to get us because we all love in this room, more than likely, most of you, or you probably be at the Baptist church somewhere who don't... We like this whole anointing breakthrough. Get them, Lord! Right? I love all that. And that we, we live for that. But there's that other side of get them, Lord. It's, okay, we got you. Now there's going to be an outworking of this inworking. Okay? There's going to be an outworking of your breakthrough. There's going to be a restoration process as you. And so I, I want to kind of help you with that. All right. Oh, Lord, help. So I wanted to give you this other little story in the Bible that I love that I was asking the Lord about. And this is really, really awesome. This is out of King David's life. Y'all love King David, right? It comes out of 1 Samuel 30. Um, This is, I haven't heard this in a long time. Uh, I mean, when I say a long time, I mean 30 years. Nobody talk about this. Uh, But, you know, the thing about 1 and 2 Samuel, uh, a lot of it is about David. First Samuel in particular is about David's calling and about David's life before he became king. He don't show up king until later in the second Samuel. And actually, a lot of people don't realize this. David was actually anointed to be king three different times before he actually be, he, he he didn't become you know it was a he, his king becoming the king over all of Israel was a step by step process. It was a step-by-step process. It didn't happen instantly. After, he, after Saul was completely wiped out and moved off the planet, David didn't immediately become, replace him. There was this process that went in his life. And so David is amazing because there's so much we can glean from his life because God has decided to reveal David's life and what goes on with David so we can glean the ways of God and how God works in a person's life. And that's why I love, you know, certain people in the Bible, the ones you get to know about their inner workings of their life. And we get double on David because he wrote a lot, of, a lot of psalms that you can connect back to some of these experiences. You know, that, like this one's the, the experience of Ziklag. Everybody heard of Ziklag? This is just an amazing story. And he actually, there's a psalm that he wrote. Uh, I forget which one it is that he talks, gives you more reflection of his heart of what was happening. So here's, here's the situation. David is living in Ziklag. Ziklag was a Philistine city. It was not Israel. It was not the promised land. In fact, it was the enemy city. Okay? And David was living there. They had these things they called the five lords of the Philistines. They were like the rulers over that. And these people were bad. They were mean. They were wicked people. I mean, they were not people you want to mess with. But David, because Saul had pursued David to kill him, for years David was on the run. Okay? Running from Saul. Running for his life. Okay? And finally he went and fled to, to this Philistine Lord, and acted like he was insane. 
That's what the Bible teaches. David thinned madness is what I think the way one of the versions had slobber running down his beard. And they kind of made fun of him and mocked him because they knew about David because he had killed Goliath. They knew David was a bad dude. And so what this particular Lord felt, he felt safe having David. David's lost his mind. I can keep him over here. I can kind of watch him just in case because David's a bad dude. He's a warrior. And so I'm going to have him here and I'll give him, I'll let him live in this place called Ziklag. That's sort of the story of how he got there. Isn't that a terrible thing? I mean, we, we, oh, that was so beautiful. Oh, David did that. Oh, Lord, what if you were in David's shoes? You see what I'm saying? It's a big different story when you're walking out just and having to act like a crazy man. I think his, he had to get his mom and daddy out of Israel also. That's a little unknown fact. He had to get them somewhere away because Saul was going to kill his family, his parents. I mean, man, we love David. We love how beautiful David's life is, but we don't really think about some of the stuff he went through. So when we think about David, let me just read a little bit of this. Are y'all still okay? Are you mad? Are you happy? You got joy? (laughs) Joy. Verse uh, 1 Samuel 30, I'm going to read one. Uh, It says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. They had been out doing what they did. Okay, and they came back. They were coming home, in other words. We're going home. We've been on this mission. Everything's cool. We're good. And on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag. Amalekites are another whole group of people. Malachites, I'm just telling you some information. Malachites, a lot of people, God told Saul, get them off the face of the earth, all of them. And why did he do that? Because they had demonic DNA in them. They were connected to these giants. And that's why a lot of people, why did God want to kill all these people? Because they have demonic stuff in them, their DNA. You, we've got to get them off the face of the earth. And, but they didn't. And so they kept causing trouble. Uh, they attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. Burned, burned the city down with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, okay, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Wow. Probably nobody in this room has ever had that happen to them, right? Nobody showed up at Mooresville and the whole town's burned down. Your wife, your sons and daughters, your baby grandbabies, everybody that you love being carried off by these crazy demonic infested people. Okay? That's why what I'm saying is think inwardly. Think inwardly. Think inwardly. Because everybody in this room has gone through something. Everybody in this room has gone through warfare. Everybody in this room, but it's not, we're not out here fighting these people. We're fighting thoughts. We're fighting demonic impressions. We're fighting the course of this world and the, and the power that sits down on us. And if you have these inward fights, you got inward wounds. If you if you if you got bad stuff going on the inside of you, you got bleeding going on the inside of you. Whether you know it or not, if we could see our souls, we would see scars, we would see hurt, we'd see bruises, we would see things. Whether you think it or not, you've been in warfare. It's just not that kind of warfare. Thank God it's not, right? Thank God. But it is a warfare. And that's how that's how why this is so 
powerful to us, if we, if we can get it, how it can really impact us and see how God can go about restoring things when we go through these terrible losses. Imagine losing. See, David had already lost one wife before this. They, Saul took her from him. It was Saul's daughter that Saul gave him to after he killed Goliath. And then one day he took, him, took his daughter away, David's wife, and gave her to another man. I mean, so David was a wounded guy. He was a hurt guy. He had already lost, and then Saul tried to kill him, and he had run. This was for years. This was probably somewhere around 15 years down the road from when he was anointed king as a shepherd boy. He had spent 15 years running and losing and getting beat down. That sounds glorious, doesn't it? But we don't think about that. You see, he didn't, he didn't get anointed by Samuel that day when he came to his house, and then the next day he's sitting on the throne. Everybody's bowing down to him. It wasn't long after that he was on the run, and he began to little by little lose everything. And so here he comes. He has these two other wives. Back then, they married a bunch of women. They weren't smart. <laughs> Most men can't handle them. That's why we need to do the marriage thing. It's more for men than women. Or, and then women to kind of figure out why they're such stupid men. And I, I need to figure this guy out. It's, it's a great thing. Back then, they just was just dumb and get a bunch of women. You know, they suffered a bunch. <laughs> Anyways, God bless the women, right? So, um, woo, Jesus. <laughs> Yes, help, Lord. <laughs> then it says in verse 4, Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept. Okay? And they had no more, until they had no more power to weep. That's pretty intense, weeping. Where you weep until there's no more tears. There's nothing left in you. In other words, you have completely exhausted your emotional tank. There's nothing left in you anymore. Okay? You're just, you're just done at that moment, because, and, and, but you still feel the sorrow. You still feel the pain. You know? And that's, that's, that's what they were doing is they, they had just wept until they couldn't, couldn't do it. And so it's crazy what happened, but it's not really crazy when you think about it, what happened next. It's, it's not. It just goes on all the time. And, you know, in verse 5, he mentions the the two wives. And it says in verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed, okay? Because not only had he lost those two wives and his children and any possessions that he had that was worth anything, they were gone. And his house was burned down. But now the people that were following him, these 600 soldiers, and let's just get this straight, these were bad dudes, these were not guys you would mess with. They were warriors. They had a warlike nature in them. They were not the kind of guy. And they, a lot of them chose to go to David. They were the despised and the, the distressed and dejected. They, the, there were 30 mighty men of the valor that the Bible talks about that were included in this that were some of the most powerful men, warlike men, that ever walked the face of the earth. That, that could beat a whole army of people that would take a lion on and kill a lion. I mean, these were like cra- these people were crazy, man. I mean, they were the best of men. If you, they were not metro guys. <laughs> they were men, man. I mean, they were the kind of guys that would beat you senseless if they, if you looked at them wrong. And so here they are. They've lost their wives and children, and they're looking at David like somebody's going to pay for this, right? 
Because grief has a way of clouding our thinking. Right? And grief, and I'll tell you another thing about grief. There's something called anger that goes with grief. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's a part of the grieving process. Most people who grieve over loss, which is all of us are going to if you have I hate it. There's a point of anger. Okay? And I... I'm going to say this. I think that's part of the being healed is allowing that anger to manifest, deal with that anger, face that anger, but don't let that anger harden your heart. You see, grief really will cloud us. It will cloud the way we look at life. Right? Let's get this. Let's be real here. When you go through tragic or you get hurt or something terrible, you're not looking at things right. You're not capable of looking at them right. All of a sudden, David, their leader, they wanted to kill him. And he didn't do it. They weren't looking at it right, but they had to find somebody to blame. They had to find somebody to hurt because they were hurting. And somehow that expression of hurt has to come out. I always tell people pain has a voice. Pain has to be expressed. If you suppress it, it's going to come out in weird ways down the road. That's why you see a person, they go through something, and they act like, no, I'm good, I'm fine. No, you're not. And I'm going to watch out for you because down the road, you're going to start acting weird. And you're not going to know why you're acting weird. But it's the grief in you. It's the sorrow in you. And so this is what was happening to these guys. They're, the grief was so powerful and it so clouded their thinking and it got to their hearts. So they wanted to kill the guy that they previously loved and cared about and followed and, and, and chose to go where he was at and follow him and trust him. A lot of people are like that with the Lord, right? Lots of times when we go through grief, we get angry with the Lord. Come on, let's be real here. I know you're so spiritual, you don't. You know, but lots of times we get angry with God because we can't understand why God let this happen to us. And so we're like those men. We want to get God. We're going to bust Him, you know, because He don't, He's, He's allowed us to be hurt. He's allowed this to happen to us. And so we take, and see, that's, a, that's when the grief has taken your heart and hardened it. Has hardened it towards God. Okay? Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Y'all are looking at me meanly. <laughs> Anyways, I just think this is an amazing story. And so, um, you know, they, were, they said they were, the people spoke of killing David, stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. And that's just, that would, the, the grief is right. Their sons and daughters, people were hurting for them. They're, they just allowed their grief to manifest into, into something bad. So I want to encourage you today about your grief. One thing, if, if you're in a process of grief, allow it, you know, get with God and, and be able to process that grief. If you need a counselor, do all that. Do what you need to do is be able to process your grief so it won't harden you. It won't mess your life up. And that you won't do things that, will come back on, on you eventually. So many people, so many, I, I, I just grieve over this. I've watched young people especially when things didn't work in life, their dreams or, or some terrible thing happened, I've watched them pull away from God, angry with God, bitter against God. And, and I realized it was because they were hurting and they didn't really understand what was really happening, but their response was wrong. Their response was wrong. And the response was, and some of them I've seen that response lead them down a bad road, a very sorrowful road. Because when you do that with the Lord, you're setting yourself up. 
you know, for hurt. You're, get, you're getting out of His grace. You're getting out of His love, and you're setting yourself up for bad things to come to you. That's just the way it is. And so, it's, so that's why it's important to be able to process that. And it's, listen, it's important for you and I as people to understand that when people are going through sorrow and hurt, to have some empathy and have some concern for them, to be able to help them if we're allowed to, or at least pray for them that they'd be able to process their, their sorrow in a healthy way. Are y'all following me? This is, real, this is life, man. I'm talking to you about living life. I'm talking about the life you and I get up every morning and live. We've got to be able to deal with these things properly. Are we going to keep setting ourselves back and not really be able to receive the restoration that the Lord has for us? Well, anyways, we're going to move on to something a little bit more juicy here. <laughs> I'm going to finish this. It says, David was greatly distressed, blah, blah, yeah, of course he was. But then it says, but David strengthened himself and the Lord his God. Now that's key right there. David strengthened himself in the Lord. They, their response was to get David. His response was to go to the Lord. Okay, see, David really shows us this is what you need to do. He strengthened himself in the Lord. See, David prayed, David worshiped. David, let's just read it here. And he says, um, let me see here, where am I? I'm having a hard time sticking it with this. Verse, and then David said to Abathar the priest, let's call him good old Ab, the pastor. You see, what David did is David called this guy up and he said, hey, listen, I need some help right now. I'm hurting. These guys are trying to kill me. I've lost everything. You know, I need some wisdom. I need some counsel from somebody. And I don't need you to come in here as my buddy. Because he said, put on those things, those deals. Uh, what, what do you call those things? Uh, ephod, that's the priestly garment. That's when the priest went before the Lord. They saw the Lord. They had these stones on there. And they had all this weird stuff they would do back in those days. We don't have to do that. But that's really what it's saying is David said, don't come here as my buddy. Don't come here just to, to give me a hug and say it's going to be all right. No, I need to hear something from the Lord. I need somebody in my life that's spiritual. I need somebody that can hear God just outside of me right now because I can't really hear him. I'm hurting too bad. And somehow we've got to become those people at some point in our life instead of just needing those people. At some point, we've got to be the person that can look at a person who is devastated and be that pastor, be that priest, whatever you want to call it, and be able to tell them something from heaven, which means we need to learn to hear from heaven ourselves, to be able to give people something from heaven instead of some rote principle advice. You hear what I'm saying to you? That's why hearing from God is, is, is everything to us. We need it for ourselves, but some, like I said earlier, at some point we're going to have to communicate to other people to be able to give them a word from the Lord in due season. So we, I'm going to go back to that tension. We have that tension of we feel weak, we feel helpless, but at the same time we feel something else. We feel God in us. That's why God wants to bring that out in us, not only for just me personally. That was what last year was for me. Me personally, now God's saying, I got... I got this other word for you. I told you that word. It's called Acts. That's what he told me. I got another word for you. It's Acts. Acts means doing something. 
And he wants to do things. And so that's what this guy was for David. David he was that guy who had helped David hear the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? So we need that in our restoration process. And we need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Uh, not everybody can be that for you. And sometimes it may feel like God has cut everybody off from you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? When you go through some bad thing, you feel like nobody understands you, and you talk to your buddies, and they look at you like, yeah, yeah. Like, and, you, and you're thinking, they're thinking I'm just immature. They're thinking I'm just stupid. Do y'all know? Do y'all ever think that? I, I can remember being just all messed up and talking to some of my friends, and them looking at me with these looks on their faces like, dude, you're messed up. What happened to you? I thought you were spiritual. You ain't nothing, boy. You know, I mean, you feel that way. I don't know that they're thinking that. I think they're thinking, like I think a lot of times when people are saying, like, oh, God, help me. They're in trouble, and I don't know a word. I don't have nothing for them. All I can be is an ear, and that's not a bad thing. Because lots of times when people come and they're overwhelmed and destroyed, you don't know, and you're too scared to say much. You should be. Let me tell you, if you're not, you need to get scared when somebody comes like that to you. You need to have the fear of the Lord on you. You're not just going to give them some tri-servicey advice. You need to like, Lord, help, please. If you got a word for me to give them, I'll give it. If you just want me to be here and be with them, I'm, I'll do that. I hated that. Yeah. One of the worst things I had to overcome being a pastor was this. You get that phone call, right, the one nobody wants to get. Some tragedy happens. Somebody's died or somebody, something terrible has happened. And you get it, and you're like, oh, my Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? What? There, and, and you feel completely nothing. And you feel worthless. You feel stupid. You feel like I don't have nothing to do. Why am I doing? Why did I ever become a pastor? <laughs> Nobody told me about this. <laughs> That's what I thought. Nobody told me about these phone calls. And the devastation that you walk into a house in the middle of the night and a loved one has suddenly passed. That's a devastating moment. It's just devastating. And you have nothing to give. You have nothing to say. You just bring your presence there. And you just bring love there. And hope somewhere in the middle of it, God says something to somebody and people hear it. But that's, that's the world we live in, y'all. We live in that world. We live in a world. And God wants to restore you and bring you to a place of health where you can walk into those situations. That He's calling us into those places. That's where Jesus went. He went into those dark places. All right, I was preaching then. Okay. Okay, so anyways, that says the next thing, David inquired of the Lord. That's important, himself. David inquired of the Lord. He didn't take his life into his own hand. He didn't make, that's what I tell people, when you're in a mess, that is not the time to be making these life-changing decisions. Right? You just went through hell. Something terrible happened here. Now you're making all these decisions. I'm moving here. I'm, I'm transferring. I'm getting a new job. I'm doing that. I'm kicking these people to the curb. That is not the time to do that. More than likely, it's a bad decision. I don't want that person to be my friend no more because they're too blessed and I'm too messed up. It's not a good time to do that. It's really not. Because next year, they may, be, they may be the one sitting in that chair all busted up and crying. You know? And they might need you, so don't kick them to the curb. And so don't make life changes. Apart from inquiring of the Lord, getting this counsel from the Lord and allowing the Lord to do what God does. And so God gave David some counsel. David said, should I pursue them? Should I go after these guys? 
And the Lord told him, yeah, you're gonna, yeah, I want you to pursue them. I want you to go get them, and you're going to get everything back. That's what the Lord told him. You're getting it all back. You're getting the women back. You're getting the kids back. You're getting the possessions back. And if you read the whole story, not only to get all that back, you got all the other stuff they stole from other people. You're going to get that. I mean, so he got into a big deal here, okay? It says, he asked, shall I pursue the troops? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, pursue for you. That's for pursue for you shall surely overtake them. That's what I was talking about, the adventure thing. That was God's adventure for David. David could have said, I'm going to go do it and not ask the Lord because I'm getting back what's rightfully mine. And the Lord might be saying, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that right now. That, we'll let somebody else do that for you. You hear what I'm saying on that? Yeah. Pursue, inquire, and when God releases you, go. That's really important. Now, so he and his 600 men take off. Okay. I'm going to finish. I've been talking a long time, haven't I? <laughs> I don't mean to talk. I'm trying to get down to a 30-minute message. I have got so far to go. <laughs> I've got so long. I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> okay. I'm going to jump down to verse 9. So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor. Besor, right? Is that how you say that? Besor, B, I guess. Besor? Somebody who's smart, say it. Besor? All right. Huh? Sore? Or? Oh, okay. So, now, where those stayed who were left behind. That's important. Those stayed who left behind. But David pursued, and he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind. 200, because they were so weary they couldn't cross this brook. Now, this is an important thought here. This is real important. Because I was like, what does Bessel mean? What does it mean? You know what it means? It means cold place. Actually, it's actually sort of an uh, oasis today where people go in Israel, you know, out in the middle of the, the wilderness, and there's this oasis with this cold water, and, you know, people, they have stuff there, like, you know, a place for recreation and fun it wasn't a place of rain and so here's here's what this says to me it's, it's called what I call hitting the wall 200 of those guys hit the wall they were ready to go they went for some hours but they got to that place and they couldn't get past it they, they hit the wall they couldn't get over their hurt they couldn't get over their loss they couldn't get over their disappointment they just couldn't do it. And so I'm telling y'all, that is reality for lots of times. I don't know about you, but I have hit some walls in my life. I have come to some places where I just said, I'm just done, Lord. And I really meant it. I had, I had gone as far as I could go. And I was disappointed that I felt that way. I was discouraged about myself when I felt like I came to this place and I had pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you just come to this place... Like those two, I can't make it. I just can't go. I just got to stop here. And it sounds kind of bad, right? It really sounds terrible. So what happened was, David, 200 of them, we can't do it. Okay. So 400, and David went on, and to make the short, they went. These Amalekites, they, they ran into this Egyptian guy who had been their slave who got sick. And he, told, he spilt the beans on the Amalekites, told, told David where they were at. 
You know, because God told them to pursue. So God sent somebody to tell them where they were hiding out at and what they were doing. He got over there and they were having a big party, the Malachites were. You know, they had all these women and, you know, all this food they stole. I mean, they were just living it up. And then David and his guys went down on them and wiped them out and got everybody back. Everybody's back safe. You know, got all the girl, kids back, you know, the grandbabies. I mean, you know, that was the best time when you could hold those babies again and know that they were safe and you were there and you felt that, that a parent and a grandparent feels about their children is, is they're safe because I'm here and nothing's going to bad happen is going to happen to them anymore. And their wives felt safe and secure because their mighty husbands had captured, kept, recaptured them and they were bringing them back home. And so they got, they were going back, okay, and it says in verse 13, jumping down to 21, David came to the 200 men who had been so weary they could not follow David. They didn't fight. They stayed there. Whom they, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men, this is cool, of those who went with David, answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and get away from us and depart. <laughs> that was the, yeah, and that, that was what their heart was. Okay, we'll give them their wife and kids, but give them their wives and kids. They don't deserve, they don't deserve none of the spoils, and we don't even want to have anything. To, they just need to go on. Right? That was their heart. But David had a different heart. Now, this is the thing for people who feel like they've hit the wall. This is the thing. This is how God looks at things. Okay? God doesn't look at things the way men look looks at things. This is beautiful. And David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. You shall not do it. The Lord gave us all this. And you're not going to treat these people like that just because they couldn't do it. But we were able to do it. We're not going to do this to them. We're not going to push them aside. We're not going to reject them. We're not going to kick them to the curb. Isn't that the way the Lord works? Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? I think it's amazing. He said, uh, For who will heed you in this manner? Am I reading in the right place? Yeah. But who will heed you in this manner? But as... As his part is as he goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. You get that? You see that? And they shall share alike. So it was from that day forward, he, David, made a statue and an ordinance for Israel to this day. In other words, for you and I, you know, this is grace, right? This is when we, we're beat, we're defeated. We're down and out and we, we can't go no further. And God in his heart is saying, it's okay, but I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to leave you there. And any of your brethren who wanna really want to pick on you for being a failure, I will stop doing that. They, you know, David, you know, uh, Samuel um, said, uh, these are wicked and worthless guys who thought that way. That's how they... That was that thought. If you think that way, that's a wicked and worthless thought. It's not how God thinks. You see, God wants, God's inclusive. God wants to get those people who've failed. He wants to get those people who gave up. 
Aren't you glad? If you become one of those people, you'll be really glad. You'll be glad that God didn't leave you down there. You'll be glad. You'll be glad that you, at that moment in your life, where you came to, where you can't go no farther, yet God didn't forget you. That God said, I will remember you and I will not leave you in that state. I will come back and I will get you and I will protect you. That's how God thinks. It's really how God thinks. And that's really part of us being restored. You know, you know when, you, when you feel like you've failed and you feel like you've given up, at least I, you feel like you're, not, you're disqualified. Right? You, you feel like you, you can't do anything anymore. And, and, and God's saying, that's not true. It's not true. You're not disqualified. You're not disqualified. You can. And that's part of, that's a, such a big, for me, it's such a big part of being restored and having godly confidence come back into my life again and begin to see potential and possibility instead of just trying to get through the day and hoping something happens that would be good. Just, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's just not the kind, it's the survival kind of thing. Is is I wasn't thriving, I was just surviving. And God really wants us to thrive in Him. God wants to set people free in here that's been failures, you know, and, and, and have been disappointed and and wants you to know, I'm not, I'm here to bring you with me. I'm here to say, come on. That's what he's saying. I'm here to say, come on. Now it's time to, I'm inviting you to be restored. I'm inviting you to have back what you lost because those 200 men got back what they lost. David made sure of it. Our David, King David, King Jesus is going to make sure of it. That's what he will do for you. And that's what he wants to tell you about being restored. He wants some of these, some of you guys in this room who feel that way. I know there's got to be people in here that feel that. You just feel, feel like you're kind of stuck. And I'm here to tell you you're not. I'm here to tell you that God is a restorer. And that he wants to restore you and he wants to begin this process with you to get you to a place where you can receive back what you've lost. So won't you stand up and Mr. Magusu, come up here. I'm gonna pray, I want to pray for you. If that's you. Is that you? Raise your hand to the Lord. Just Now, Holy Spirit, hold your hands up just for a second. Holy Spirit, we just ask you today. You're, mm, mm, just come now and let a healing come today. Let a revelation come today. Let the word of the Lord come to those who are raising their hands to you. And let something shift in their hearts right now. Something shift. Only you can cause that shift. So I just ask you to do that, Lord. I just say yes. We're saying yes. Say restoration come. I want to be restored. I want what God has for me. I want what God's always had for me. So I say yes to you today, Jesus. King Jesus. I want you. I need you. You're a greater king than David was. But we thank you for King David's life. And we ask you to release that anointing in Jesus' name.
Amen. You know, the Lord never leaves himself without a witness, you know. And uh, I was debating whether they share this or not, but I'm going to share it because it confirms that. Uh, but early on this morning, I saw a button and it was red on it. And it said reset slash restoration. Vi un botón que decía resetear y el otro lado decía restaurar. And I felt the whole, and I saw the Holy Spirit just handing each one of us that button. It's almost like that Staples one. No estaba dando este botón. That was easy. <laughs> Eso es fácil. So just hold it. Así que pon tu mano así como estás sosteniendo ese botón. Okay, it's faith in action. Y pon fe en acción. And something happens spiritually. Y algo pa va a pasar. Just hit that reset button right now. Aprieta ese botón. And just say, I receive, Lord. Señor, recibo. Amen. Amen. So we have the ministry team come up. Los ministros van a pasar. And if you need any further prayer, y si necesitas oración, I'm sure they're more than happy to lay hands on you. Ellos van a orar por ti. So it's a new year. Es un año nuevo. Amen. Amen. All right. May the Lord bless you. Que el Señor te bendiga. And may He keep you in peace. Y te mantenga en paz. And may His lovely face shine on you. Y que su rostro se ilumine en ti. And may His grace and love chase you continuously. Y su gracia continúe en ti. Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday. Que tengan un buen End domingo. week. Y semana.